You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. If you and I have never met, because I was off for the summer, my name is Brittany Moore and I am the lead pastor here. I'm part of a dynamic team of preachers and teachers and volunteers. And so you had a great group of folks that were speaking and serving and loving on you this, this summer. And I'm appreciative for all of them, but I am excited to be back. And if you're new to Spindle City Vineyard, we exist to see lives transformed and communities restored. We believe that God is active, alive, and moving in and through us. And so not only do we gather here on Sunday morning to experience his power in a group, but then we know that when we go out from this place, he goes with us and he's bringing our families and our communities and our workplaces back to life with us. If you're online, we love to have you. I'm so glad that you're here. Please use our digital connect card so that we can connect with you where you are. And if you're a guest today, welcome. I am going to kind of bring us backwards. If you've been joining us at all in the last two years, we've been going through the entire Bible. We're still in the Old Testament. I shared this morning with the prayer team, we're almost done with the Old Testament. And then we'll be in the book of Matthew for like a year. So we're going to hit the gas and then hit the brakes really quick. I apologize if you get whiplash. But we are actually in the third scroll. We're in the Ketavim right now. If The Old Testament is broken down in, in Hebrew by three scrolls. And we're in the final one, which covers a lot of um, prophetic books. It's a lot of stuff that comes after the prophets, but they're talking about future restoration and, and Israel getting put back together and all the maybe end timesy stuff that you find and things like Daniel. And so... We should be there today, but back in the spring, we had the substitute teacher. If you remember, I, had, I pulled the video out, and Jay Pathak spoke to us, our national director. And so we skipped Micah, and this morning, I'm going to bring us back to the Minor Prophets to finish them out with a look at the book of Micah. Um, and as we do that, I just want to remind us that The prophets are a different genre than what we're reading right now. So there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of symbolism. They write in really big words and big terms and big pictures, and it can often be confusing. Uh, And I'm not going to actually dig into those specifics this morning for Micah because we've done so much of that in the past, in the spring. If you miss one of those messages, just hop back on our podcast or on our YouTube page, and you can catch up on those messages because this morning I want to look at a different angle of the prophets. Um, But before we do that, let's set up how we're going to get there, what we're going to do. We are living in the third wave of the Industrial Revolution, for those of you that are in history class or ever were in school. And ours is specifically phrased as the technological revolution. So devices and digital content are being created so rapidly that in 50 years, literally 50 years ago, we went from the first cell phone, which was the size of a brick, with a teeny tiny little piece that came out, to the new iPhone 15 being launched like... I don't know, is that this week or it's coming up really soon for those of you that are Friday. Dan knows because he's an uh, Apple person. I'm like half in, half out. I'm weird. I like Apple and Windows. But anyway, they are radically different, right? First cell phone, hello. Um, You couldn't find anything on it except a phone call. It was like the first long-distance phone call without wires. And now you can do your banking and you can rent an apartment and a car and go on the internet and do all of those things on today's cell phones, which is fantastic and wonderful, but really confusing. So just because tech is advancing so much, humanity is not. And I say this because recently Bo asked me if he could watch Magic School Bus with me, reboot, Netflix, fantastic. And he picked the episode on how the internet works. And I sat down and watched with, with rapt attention because I have no idea how the internet works. 
I don't know about you, but I was, I just know that it's there and it's been around for a long time. And I appreciate that because I use it, but as to the actual ways that our technology all comes together so that I can go on the world wide web, not a clue. And if we're honest, maybe you know how the internet works, but most of us don't have any idea. Hello again. We don't know how our technology works and it's simply that it, it does. But the moment that it breaks, you are the first in line at the Apple store or at the mechanic or wherever you go, whatever specialist you need to see because we just have no idea, I don't even have it on me, how any of this stuff is really put together unless maybe you've created it. And for that reason, creators, inventors, tech companies have given us the blessing of the warning light, right? Especially on your car. That's probably the most important one that I have. My cell phone has one too if it starts to overheat. Um, they know that because we don't know how our technology works, we need a little bit of help to try and make sure that we keep it working appropriately, particularly in our vehicles. Stuff's going wrong all the time. We have no idea how that happens. And they've decided to put these little buttons on our dashboard to say, hey, you need to like get some air in your tires or your car's about to explode because your engine's doing a weird thing. I didn't have a car for two months. Thanks to Robin's dad, I have a car again because all sorts of lights were going off and smoke was coming out of places it shouldn't be. And the reality is those warning lights were there to prevent me from a major catastrophe, right? They're, they're embedded in our tech in order to prevent us from having like a catastrophic breakdown, a dangerous situation or worst case scenario, even death. You know, a, a catastrophic failure on my car could result in a, an accident. And so as we finish up the minor prophets, specifically in the book of Micah this morning, we've looked a lot at God's anger and wrath and how to understand that in a contextually appropriate way. And we've looked at Israel's sin and, and the results of what they would, what they'd been doing that had created a horrible society to live in. And we looked at the reality of natural consequences and how God wove natural consequences into the very creation of the earth and how it forms and functions. But as we wrap up this last book, I want to change gears and instead look at the role of the prophet themselves. To think about the people like Micah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, and think about the actual role that they filled in Israel's society and how that still impacts the way that God protects and provides for us today. Because whether you believe it or not this morning, you know, whether it's your paradigm or not, the truth is that God is deeply protective of all of us. He looks at you as a father looks at a child. And your father figure dynamic may not be one that this analogy really pans out for you. So if that's true, then I'll explain it this way. God is the best father you could ever have, and he is deeply protective of you. He knows where you are at all times. He's aware of your moves. He's aware of your heart. He's aware of your emotions, decisions, everything that stands before you. And he has designed the world to seek your best. He wants you to live in a way that thrives no matter what you're going through. And for that reason, He's intimately involved and wants to help steer you or guide you towards something that will be good and fruitful for you. And as a result, God has embedded warning lights in our lives to help us with that. In the case of Israel, what we're going to look at this morning, the prophetic voice is that warning light that God has put into creation as a way of helping steer us on the path that is good and just and holy and fulfilling for us. And so we're going to look at that because reality is if you ignore the warning lights on your car, it's not going to last forever. And if we ignore the warning lights that God has put into our lives, 
we are going to have major dysfunction and pain that we could have probably avoided. And I'd like to think most of us in the room would prefer not to have any additional pain and suffering. We'd like to minimize that as much as possible. And so that means being attuned to the prophetic voices that God has placed in our lives and knowing how to respond when they pop up. So let's look at how that works in the book of Micah and then bring it forward to today. Holy Spirit, I ask for your wisdom and revelation as we unpack your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of us individually exactly where we are. You've prepared this time in this place, and so would you do what you do best, which is speak to your people and reveal your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. To give a bit of context about the book of Micah, especially if we're feeling a little far from that time, Micah was a Judean prophet, which meant he was from the southern tribes. And he was specifically from the village or the town of Moresheth, which was about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. And in, his, in Israel's historical timeline, if you're thinking, because the prophets are kind of interwoven, we are here. So it's after the time of Amos and Hosea, and he's a contemporary, excuse me, after the time, yeah, Amos and Hosea, he's a contemporary. I just said that. Yes, Isaiah. I'm sorry. My brain was like, those words sound a lot the same. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. So what that means is society at this point was deeply entrenched in all of the sin that Hosea and Amos had been warning them about. They're like, hey, guys, things are starting to get a little rocky. You're starting to wander away from the Lord. You're doing things that he, do, he does not delight in. You need to change course now. And by the time we get to Micah and Isaiah, we're there. Like deeply entrenched, Israel society is corrupted, sin is abounding, and it's still before the major consequences kick in that the prophets have been warning about. So you're in this really difficult window where Micah is speaking to a really hardened people. They haven't seen the consequences to their sin. So far, their sin seems to be paying off. And so they don't care that this prophet is coming to speak to them. They're really doubling down on all of the things that they've been doing that are hurting their neighbor, hurting, hurting one another, and, and getting them in trouble with the Lord. And he specifically uses three examples to show them, like, all is lost in our society. The first is in section one, and it's basically chapters one to two. And Micah says, you steal the shirts right off the backs of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. You have evicted women from their pleasant homes and forever stripped their children of all that God would give them. And what's happening is that land barons have been going around and unjustly stealing the property of their fellow Israelites. And opportunists have basically taken advantage and anytime they can make a land grab to fill their pocket, they've done that. It's not an uncommon practice that we still see today. In section two, which is chapter three, Micah says, listen, you leaders of Israel, he's talking to the politicians and key religious leaders. He says, you are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. And what's happened is government officials have overridden God's law and they are using it to bolster their own power to build their own kingdoms to make themselves rich. And the religious leaders have gotten in bed with them and are saying things that allow these politicians to keep oppressing the people because they're getting some bit of power out of that as well. And so both your politicians and your religious leaders who are supposed to be leading the people in the ways of the Lord have basically just shunned everything God has said for their own benefit and gain. And then in section three, which is chapter six, Micah says, how can I tolerate your merchants who use dishonest scales and weights? 
The rich among you have become wealthy through extortion and violence. Your citizens are so used to lying that their tongues can no longer tell the truth. And this gets back to the point that at the very end, or at the very bottom of society, if you'd say, of these three tiers, that neighbors are using one another, abusing one another. Business owners, the practices have gotten so corrupt that they're not telling the truth. And they're stealing, but they're not stealing from these outside other people. It's, it's their brothers and sisters. It's their family. It's their friends. It's the fellow tribes of Israel. And the irony for us as modern readers is that we look at that and think, well, yeah, that sounds like society today, right? That doesn't really sound all that different from what we watch on the news. I could think of an example for each one of these where we see it imply, you know, just watch the news tonight and you'll see it in play. But the truth is, Israel had been given this special blessing from the Lord to build something entirely other. So their society wasn't supposed to look like this. It was supposed to be entirely unique and equitable and just and harmonious. It was supposed to be so entirely other from the rest of the world that it showed people how good God was so that they would be drawn to him. But Israel couldn't withstand the temptation to pursue their own greed and selfishness. We're not going to judge them because we all do this too. But they couldn't withstand that. And what happened was it brought total collapse upon their society. They're so entrenched in greed and injustice and sin that things are a mess and they're not about to get any better. And the consequences that the prophets have been warning them about haven't kicked in yet. See, they keep saying, God is going to address this if you don't turn around. God is going to address this if you don't turn around. Guys, God's really going to address this if you don't turn around. And specifically, that meant that the tribes are going to ex experience external nations coming in and destroying them. They were going to be taken into exile by Assyria and by Babylon, and they don't want to hear it. They're, so, they're feeling so invincible because their sin hasn't been challenged. They're feeling so arrogant and so, and so proud about it that they literally just ignore what the prophets are saying. They don't want to be told they're wrong. They don't want to believe they're headed for a major breakdown. They're acting like my toddler when I say, hey, that's not going to go so well for you. You should probably turn around, and they just don't listen. You ever seen that twinkle in a toddler's eye when you give them the warning and you know that they are not receiving it? They're like, <laughs> how fast can I get to that thing I'm not supposed to play with? And they go, that's Israel in this moment. They have the warning. It's been clear as day that they know that they're in the wrong, but they're just so hardened against God. And so they ignore the prophets, all of them. They ignore the prophets that come through. And I want to ask, have you ever successfully ignored a warning light on one of your devices? Like, you ever dodged it? You have, Terry? I have not. <laughs> I have never been able to dodge successfully when something pops on my phone. But you <laughs> and that's kind of the point. You might be able to skirt it for a while. Like, you, you know, I, don't, I have a low-pressure sensor that's broken on my car, and it's been broken since, like, 2012. But I know that that means that I am on the hook to check my tire pressure. And if I don't, I will walk out to a flat tire in the morning, especially in the winter. Israel tried to ignore the warning lights of the prophets. They just didn't want to hear it. And they crashed and burned big. And I don't just mean like things were a little sour for a while. 
The temple in Jerusalem was burned down. The city walls were destroyed. Everybody except for really the, the weakest in society were, were pulled away, and they were either killed or they were brought to Babylon. When I say that, when God tells us that sin kills us, that literally is what we see in the Old Testament. Israel is this picture. It's a lesson for us. It's an object lesson to say, if my life isn't in alignment with God's ways, he's going to warn me. He's going to try and course correct me because I'm headed for some type of major life dysfunction. And God loves me enough that he does not want that for me. The prophets again and again and again end their books with words of restoration because the core of God's heart is not our death and destruction and downfall. He takes no delight in that. He wants to see his world brought back to life. That's the point of Jesus. And so if we don't allow him to come in and course correct us, then we're just reaping the consequences of our own actions. And that breaks his heart. The Lord does not delight in our downfall. He wants us to succeed. And so we need to be careful as we read the prophets not to miss that because it can be really easy to get stuck in the doom and gloom. I mean, we went rapid fire through them, and it's a little depressing to read one book after the next after the next because they're all call, talking about death and destruction and, and omens and chaos, and that's not exactly like the fun pick-me-up on Sunday morning that perhaps you're looking for. But the truth is, they weren't trying to come and be a buzzkill to, to Jewish society. And we might read the books that way because they are so dark and so heavy, but the reality is the undercurrent of the prophets is the protective heart of God. He says, I love you so fiercely, so intensely, that I'm sending people among you to say the hard things that will grab you from falling off the edge of the Grand Canyon. He's like, I see you driving, there's a cliff ahead, and I'm sending you prophet after prophet after prophet to say the hard things, not because I don't love you, but because I'm trying to protect you from death, quite literally. Humanity is prone to wander away from God. My kids are programmed to not trust the good things I say about the boundaries in their life, right? They're like, I don't think I believe you, mom, when you say that if I jump off the back of the couch, I might get a boo-boo. Well, gravity says that I'm right, but you can test gravity. You're just not gonna win. And so the same way that we joke about that, we have that inherent battle going on in us all of the time where God has given us very clear directives in his word. He's spoken through Jesus, and he outlines the best way to do everything, the best way to do our relationships and community and our finances and our work life and our, and our sex life and our marriages and our parenting. It's in here. He's given us that, and yet there's this part inside of all of us where we're like, does he really mean it? Like, maybe I know a little bit better on this part. Or, God, I'm not quite sure I want to trust you in the way that you're doing that, so I'm going to do it my own way. And God again and again says, that's not going to pan out the way that you think it is. And he's not a vindictive or malicious parent who, like, delights in us just crashing and burning. And so again and again, he puts these flags up to say, hey, turn around. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. I'm telling you that's not going to pan out. Please come back to me. Let me protect you the way that I desire. In John 10, 10, he says, my purpose is to give them, which is us, a rich and satisfying life. He wants us to experience wholeness. 
He wants us to experience health in all of those places. And in order to do that, we need to be attuned to the prophetic voices so that when we start to creep away, wander away, doubt what God says, we can hear those warning flags before we destroy some part of our life or all of it even. And that looks a little bit different in the New Testament than it does in the Old. And so where I want to kind of land today is helping us make that translation from Old to New Testament living, bring it into our context, because I want each one of us to be able to tune into the voice of God speaking to us. I would love it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we went through a year where we avoided making like major life-altering, horrible decisions? Like we laugh about that, but it would be really cool to go through a year where we're like, yeah, that was like a pretty peaceful year. Not perfect. Remember, we just talked about the wisdom books ad nauseum in late spring in the summer, where we know that suffering can never be eliminated. It's part of God's creation. It's often far beyond our comprehension as to why that is, but it just exists. But if we could like put a stop on adding to that, if we could like lessen our suffering by not making foolish choices and decisions, that would be wonderful. And God says, I can help you do that if you learn to tune into my voice as I speak to you through the prophetic. So in the Old Testament, the prophets that we read about, it's like one guy, right? One guy who has a really hard life and a bunch of really hard messages, and I envy none of them because most of them had a really tough existence by stepping into that role. They had messages of rebuke and restoration, but they were hated by everyone for the most part, rejected by their family and their friends. The prophetic gift in the New Testament is a little bit, it's actually sizably different in, in my opinion, take it or, take it or not. Um, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it's not isolated to one specially chosen person, but that God has gifted the prophetic to every single believer, every person who has bowed their knee to King Jesus. Which means that if you have surrendered to him, you're like, I have given you my life, Jesus. I follow you. I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. And I'm, I'm giving my allegiance to you. I'm giving my citizenship to you. Then you are part of his family. And part of that is that his Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he gives us the ability to prophesy in order to protect and care for us and the people around us. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4, he says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. And I'm going to jump to verse 3. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongue is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Right, the role of the prophet is to be a is to be a warning light for the Lord. It's to it's to keep people focused on him. The role of the prophet is to keep us in love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that when we start to veer, which is just our natural tendency, we don't go far. Right? We don't make a catastrophic error. We might start to like creep this way and, and somebody comes and gives us a prophetic word that helps veer us back on course with the one who brings us to the fullness of life helps our faith to be stabilized in the goodness of Jesus. That's the role of the prophetic word. That's why God has gifted us that special gift from the Holy Spirit. It's the same in the Old Testament. It just manifests differ differently in the new and that we all get to participate in this. 
We get to help keep our friends and family and ourselves in line with the goodness of who God is. And I think that's something that we each desire. I don't, like I said, it would be great if we could all go through a year without any catastrophic, like horrible decisions. But think about the people you love in this room and the people you love in your family or your work circle, your friend circle. To be able to help them, have, help them stay close to the Lord and have them do the same for you so that you came through a year where you knew that your heart was just surely like situated on him. Wouldn't that be incredible? Think about your kids for a minute if you have them. That is why God has gifted us the prophetic. Because he wants us to be complete and whole in our love for him. He wants us to avoid falling off the deep end. And so the same Holy Spirit that empowered Micah and all the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament is the same Spirit who empowers us to do this today. So how do we tap into this gift? Being very honest, how do we engage with the prophetic? How do we know when it's happening? If you're new to Jesus or even if you're not, you haven't even given your life to him, you're just kind of like thinking about him and what he's about, or even if you're a seasoned veteran and just have never really talked about the gifts of the Spirit, how do we engage in this gift that is protective, that is guiding, that is encouraging, that helps to build us up, helps to build up our church. Well, the first thing is we have to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit in us. <clears throat> I'd like to believe, though I, have, I don't really have a basis for this, just personal experience, that before God t- sends other people to speak to us, he's talking to us internally right? If you're starting to do something that you know is creeping away from the Lord and into some type of sin, there's usually that feeling internally like, this might not be great for me, might not be where I'm supposed to be going. And sometimes we do what Israel did and we're like, but it's like paying off. So I'm just going to keep going and see how far I can get before something happens. The Lord would like for us to respond very quickly when we hear his voice internally. When we feel that nudge, that inner, that's not right, and I know that's not right. And he would like us to respond by turning back to him and saying, God, you know what? I just made a mistake there. I shouldn't have gone down that path, and so now I'm going to respond to you by not going any further and coming back into the parameters of the boundaries that you've set for me, whether that's with your finances, your relationships, whatever. But on the off chance that we just keep going down that path, The Lord is gracious to gift the people around us in his family with prophetic words. And they're not always, I hope that you're not going up to people and being like, you're going to die the way that they were in Israel. Although that could happen, I suppose, if someone's far enough along. But more often, thus saith the Lord, more often we get this, this sense that we need to just say something to a friend because we can see that where they're headed isn't good. I've used this example more times than I can count, so I apologize if you've heard it. But Johanna has done this with me in the past, where she's like, hey, Britt, that behavior isn't becoming of someone who follows Jesus. That, that action, that's not going to go in a good place. And I watch the humility and the love in her eyes when she says those hard things to me. It's not her, like, condemning me. She's not hoping I'm going to fall. She's coming alongside with genuine concern for me. And she may not have said in the moment, like, oh, that's a prophetic word, but it is. It's the Lord saying, I'm, I'm calling you to go talk to Brittany and help her return to her first love for her own sake and for the sake of the people in her life. And so we need to be prepared 
as his people to, to listen, not only for ourselves, but to listen for the people around us. And those prophetic words aren't always words of correction. Like Paul says, it could be a word of encouragement where someone's standing before a really hard decision and they're really trying to discern the direction God has for them. And suddenly he says, hey, I want you to go speak to uh, Jim and let him know that I have his back and, and I'm leaning in this direction. And so I want you to speak that to him to give him courage to take the step he needs to take to follow me. Right? The prophetic comes up all the time in different ways of guidance, correction, rebuke, because God wants us to be steady in our faith and strong as a family. And so we need to be prepared to hear him. Now you might say, Brittany, this is really, I don't know how to do that. And I'm glad you asked. I don't have enough time this morning to get into all the practicals, but in October, on the 20th and the 21st, we're going to do Holy Spirit training. We're going to teach you how to do this. I'm not going to be talking from the front like this, but we're going to break into smaller groups and we're going to go through what does it look like to hear the voice of God as he speaks to me? What does it look like to hear the voice of God as he speaks to me for others? Because this is something that if we can lean into it and do it really well, will bring about really significant blessing on our church family. To see one another thrive, to have healthy lives, healthy boundaries, healthy dynamics in our church is part of the testimony. It's how we share Jesus with the world, right? Israel had the opportunity to build something and because they chose not to, they didn't get to be that beacon on a hill shining and showing the world how good God was. Instead, they faced destruction and had to go through that process of being rebuilt. We have the same opportunity. God has gifted that to his church now and said, you can build an entirely alternative society as we come together and gather on Sundays and throughout the course of the week. And the way that we function can be so radically different from how the rest of the world does that people are literally saying, what is going on? I want to be a part of that. And part of Doing that is leaning into the prophetic. In fact, Paul says later in Corinthians 14, if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. The prophetic is, is a beautiful dance of us and the Holy Spirit as he's sharing his heart with the world. And his heart is for the world to be put back together. And he'd like to do it before it totally falls apart. The biggest indicator that we are genuinely following Jesus is when we live our lives like he actually knows what is best. The biggest indicator that we are actually genuinely following Jesus is when we live our lives like he knows, like we believe that he knows best. So we do the things according to how he said, not according to what we think. And because that is hard, and we are quite literally learning every day, God, or Paul says, let your minds be renewed. We're learning how to do that every day. The prophetic gift helps us on that journey. And so we want to grow in that. We want to be people who hear the Lord and respond to him quickly and let him guide our day-to-day -day steps. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to pray for you if you want to grow in that. 
But I would like you to, if you're like, I need to grow in this. Like, I need to know more about the prophetic. I want to understand how God speaks to me and through me. I want to hear him for myself, and I want to hear him for others. I want you to write down right now or put it in your phone or whatever. I know Dan doesn't have a planner, so he's not writing it anywhere. Put it in your phone, Dan, or put it on a Post-it note. Yes, it's back. So you had two months off where I wasn't going to use you as an example. Of October 20th and 21st, Imani and Joe and myself and Ashley and and folks from the prayer team are going to put together an opportunity for all of us to practice this, to grow in listening to the Lord, because it's only going to be for our benefit if we do. All right? Now that that's in your phone, do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I hear you, baby Ash. I'm excited to be back, but this was not the message that I had written in the spring because I felt so strongly while I was gone that one of the things the Lord kept saying to me over and over again is we need to understand how to stand firm in our faith because the world is always going to be hard. Millennials and that generation, my generation, are like, oh, we've always experienced woe. And the Lord's like, yeah, it's not really going to change. We get to the point where aliens are like, yeah, there's probably aliens. We're like, it's fine. Just pull a seat up to the table. It's fine. Just keep going. And the reality of that is this is how life feels, not just for Christians, but for everyone. We need to understand how to be firm and steady in our faith because if we are shaken all of the time, then we have, the world has nowhere to turn. And it's not that we are the source. It's that we are carrying Jesus, who is the answer, who is the hope of the world. And if we don't know how to live in that hope consistently, then we certainly cannot give it away. And so while I was, as I was coming back, I felt the Lord say, that is one of the gifts that we need to grow in here at Spindle City Vineyard. And it's a good thing because he loves to speak. And so this morning we're going to do ministry time. And if you're new to the vineyard, what that means is we all stand back up if we are able. And we just take a couple minutes to listen to the Holy Spirit and to to do or respond to whatever he's been saying on us this morning. So you can stand up if you're able.